But again, I just want to say welcome again. This morning we will be talking about what is God like? And that is really a huge subject. And the book that we're going through in our home groups is uh, 20 Christian Beliefs, and this is one of the chapters, is what is God like? And in that chapter, it has 24 subtitles about what God is like. I've chosen four of them, so we don't have to be here until 4 o'clock this afternoon. But um, we will be going into much greater detail in the home groups about, you know, what God is like. And I imagine that if I asked everybody here, you know, what God was like, I would probably get as many different answers as there are people here. And sometimes our perceptions of what God is like are true, and sometimes our perceptions of what God is like are false. Um, I can remember as a young man, you know, living my life, uh, you know, not quite in a godly manner, and thinking that if I ever entered the doors of a church, God would certainly strike me down with lightning or squash me like a bug because of the way I was living. Anybody ever thought that way? That if because of the way you were living, you thought for sure that God was mad at you, that God was angry with you, and that God was going to get you if you ever entered the church. (laughs) That is a false perception of what God is like. Um, Another one could be something like, well, maybe, you know, I know God's out there somewhere, but he doesn't really care about me. He's not interested in me or what I'm doing. I mean, he's way too busy for me. Um, but there's a lot of different ideas and, 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 and you know, thoughts about what God is like. What we want to do is we're going to look at a lot of scriptures and try to get a biblical view of what, what God is like. So the first one we're going to look at this morning is God exists. And I've asked Kathy to read the, the verses. Um, so... Uh, she's going to be reading the verses as we, we go through the message. But the first verse is Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, it says, in, begin, in the beginning, God. You know, the Bible doesn't even um, attempt to prove God. The Bible is a book about God and about his relationship with mankind. And uh, it simply acknowledges and accepts the fact that God is. Uh, but and let's look at Romans 1.20. Romans 1.20 says, Therefore, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. His divine nature, his, his power have been clearly seen. All of creation declares that there is a God. Have you ever seen a beautiful sunrise? Ever seen a beautiful sunset? I remember years ago when Kathy and I first moved to New Hampshire, I was working one day and I, I, I just wanted to do something 
romantic, you know, with Kathy or for Kathy. And, and I'm not really a romantic kind of guy, you know. So I was kind of like, Lord, I was asking God, Lord, what, what can I do? You know, what can I, you know, what can I do with Kathy? And so the Lord said, take her to see the sunset on Shakora Lake. And I don't know if you're familiar with Shakora Lake or Shakora Mountain, but it's a very beautiful, beautiful um, um, picturesque area. And so I went home that afternoon, that evening, and I said, Kathy, you want to go see the sunset and, 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 and Shakora Lake? Let's go watch the sunset. She said, okay. So I got, we packed a little table and some two chairs, and we boiled some hot water, and, and we got some tea, and we went down to the, to the beach, and we put up our little table and chairs, and we sat there, and we sipped tea, and we watched the most spectacular sunset that I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it was it, uh, the colors and the movement, and it was like watching a motion picture. It was better than any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> so we're sitting there watching this beautiful sunset, and people are pulling off the highway and coming down and looking at this, you know, this spectacular sunset, and then they're looking at us and thinking, how'd you guys know that was going to happen? You know, because it's like we had it all planned out. But that's like God, you know. You see that beauty, the beauty of his creation, and you, you, you want to worship him. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman uh, one day at work, and I just asked him about, um, you know, if he had any relationship with God or anything or any experience with God. And he said, no, no, not really. He said, but sometimes when I sit by the lake and I look out at the lake and I look at the mountains, and he says, it, I think about God. So all of creation declares that there is a God so that men are without excuse. Um, so nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, God, you never revealed yourself to me. Another, um, the next thing we want to talk about is that not only does God exist, but God is knowable. You can know God. And as awesome and mighty and powerful and busy as God is, the creator of the universe, he's knowable. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. Um, wouldn't it be really cool if you got to meet somebody that was really important in this world? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you, you know, sometimes we brag about the fact that we know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that's really important. <laughs> And that makes us feel kind of important because somehow we are attached to this important person, even if it's through some distant relative. Have you ever done that? Have you ever bragged about somebody because you knew somebody that knew somebody that was really important? I can remember when I was a little kid, my grandmother showed me this album cover, and it had a picture of a guy on it, and his name was Vic Dana. Anybody know who Vic Dana is? Ray, you know who Vic Dana is? Huh? Yeah, Vic Dana was my cousin, you know. I, when I asked the, the early sir, I personally have never met Vic Dana. I don't know who Vic Dana, all I knew was my grandmother told me that Vic Dana was my cousin. And that made me feel important, even though I never met the guy, you know. He was on, a, he was on an album cover, so I felt important. Well, how much more important is God? 
And if I were to tell you that, you know, Vic Dana was going to be here after the service, or, you know, whoever you think is the most important person in the world, I mean, it could be a famous athlete, it could be a famous actor or actress, it could be a famous, um, you know, businessman or politician or somebody that you think is really important in this world, and if I told them that they were going to be here after the service to, and, they, and they really wanted to meet you, would you, would you, would you wait around to meet them? Sure. Absolutely. You know, you'd do everything. you change your schedule. You, you would do anything, whatever it took to meet that person. Well, how much more important is God? And I want you to know that God is going to be here after the service to meet you. And he wants to meet you. If you've never met him before. Now, I'm not talking about a face-to-face relate, you know, meeting with God. What I'm talking about is a heart-to-heart meeting with God. And that's what he truly desires. He wants to meet you. Let's look at Philippians 3.8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul, this is Paul speaking, and Paul was a man of stature in his day. He, he was an important person in, 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 in religion, in the Jewish um, religion, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had attained the highest of the high, you know, what you could attain in his life. And what he said was he considered it all a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Here is a, a picture of what happens when God does not know us. Um, these people thought they, that they had you know, lived for God, done the things of God, worked for God, and he said, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, let's look at John seventeen three through 8. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Amen. They knew with certainty. And God desires to have a very close, intimate, personal relationship with you and with me. And so, so much so that he's really, he really cares about even the, you know, the, the smallest little things in your life. And just recently, I, I um, 
had a, a little experience with the Lord, and, and many of you, I've already shared this story with some of you, so some of you might kind of go, oh, no, not that again, and roll your eyes and say, oh, well, here he goes with the, the pencil story. Well, I have these pencils, and I really like these pencils, you know, and I'm a carpenter, so, you know, pencils are important to me. And uh, I was working one day in our shop, and, and I had laid down my, you know, my prize pencil, you know, and I put it there, and it was all sharpened and ready to go. And, and um, I was working, and then I went to reach for it, and it was gone. And I searched, and I searched, and I searched, and I could not find that pencil anywhere. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I looked and looked. I, and what I normally do is I'll stick my pencil in my, in my back pocket, so I can read it. So I'm checking my pockets in it, all checking out all the pockets, you know, every inch of everywhere I could, you know, possibly have put the pencil. It's nowhere. So fine. So then I had to go outside. So I, I, as I'm heading out, I said, Lord, when I come back in, would you please put my pencil back on the bench? And, and, and then I went outside. And then I felt guilty, you know, for like, who am I to tell God to put my pencil back on a bench? Like God has you know, time to be, you know, worry about my pencil, you know, and, and I said, but, you know, I'm sorry, God, I mean, it's okay, you don't have to put my pencil, but it would really be nice if you would, you know, but, so I, I went back out, came back in, looked on the bench, the pencil wasn't there, and I said, oh, well, that's okay, I understand, you know, so finally I relented, and I went, and I got a new pencil, because I got to work, you know, I can't, and Fran, you better not tell Steve that I spent a half an hour searching for a pencil. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> or you, Sam, for that matter. But, but, you know, like, they're important to me. And um, so I came back in and, and, and finally got the new pencil, and I was working throughout the day, and I was putting the new pencil in and out of my pocket all day long. One pencil, in and out, in and out, every, you know, I'd take a measurement, put it back, put it back, you know. So it goes in and out of my pocket a hundred times, you know, a day, easy. And, one, at, and then finally, at one point, I, I reached in to get my pencil, and I pulled out two pencils. And I just looked at them, and I just started laughing. I said, Lord, you got a sense of humor. He, he, he gave me back my pencil. But then he spoke to me, and he said, I want to answer your prayers. I want to do what you asked me to do. But it has to be my way and my time. So that's just a little story about how important and intimate every little thing in your life is to God. He cares about you and all the details of your life. And he wants to know you that way. Our third point is, uh, well, let me do John, 1 John 5.13. Just one more scripture on knowing God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to worry about whether or not you know God or know whether you're going to go to heaven or not. He's given us the way, and he's, he's showing us the way, so that, and he's written to us so that we may know that you can have a certainty in your heart. Amen? The next point is that, that God grieves and feels pain. Um, God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in a beautiful garden, and he put them in, the, you know, in this, you know, this beautiful garden, and 
he said to them that you may eat from any tree in the garden. They're all yours. All of it is yours. Eat from any tree except for the tree that is in the center of the garden. He said he gave them one command that they could not do. They could not eat from the tree that was in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, many of you know how the story goes. They, they were deceived by the serpent. You know, the devil disguised as a serpent came and deceived them into eating from the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. When they did that, they were separated from God. Sin came into the world. Um, and because of their sin, all of mankind inherited the, their sin. And all of mankind was separated from God. Let's look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. The effects of sin can be clearly seen in the days of Noah. Let's look at Genesis 6, 5 through 9. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Can you feel the heart of God in that? See, it wasn't so much that, yes, he, was, he, he felt pain and grief over man's sin, over his wickedness, because it wasn't so. It wasn't even. It was. It, it's not like it was one sin, or it was the fact that every thought and intent of his heart was nothing but evil all the time. That's the long-term effect of sin, and it had gotten so bad that there was only one solution, and God had to totally wipe out the entire earth. You know, all of all of mankind, except for the one man, Noah. Because Noah was a righteous man who walked with God. So God gave a command. He said, okay, he, said, he, he called Noah to build an ark. He wanted to save creation. He wanted to save Noah and his family. Because, he, I mean, God, he could have easily have sent the flood just like that. But because of his heart, his love for his creation, for his people, he called Noah to build an ark. Now, Noah... For, it took about approximately 120 years to build an ark. So here's Noah among this whole world of people who, whose thought and intent of their heart is nothing but evil all the time. He's around them all the time. And he's building an ark, and they're probably mocking him and laughing at him and you know, ridiculing him and everything else. And in the meantime, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching you know, repent because there's a flood coming. You know, I'm building this ark. You can come too, you know. 
I'm sure, you know, if anybody that wanted to repent and enter that ark, they probably could have. But let's look at 1 Peter 3.20. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built? In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. You see, for 120 years, the gospel was being preached by Noah. And in 120 years, only eight people entered the ark. Once the door was closed, every single person on the outside of that ark perished in the flood. Once the door was closed, it cannot be opened again. Second Peter 3.9. <clears throat> The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God will wait and wait and wait and wait. He will give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to repentance. It's not his will that any should perish. He wants all to come. He wants all to enter the ark, you know. But there does come a day when the door is closed. Um, Our next point is God is love. And probably, you know, this is a, all throughout the Bible, it, you know, it tells of God's love. But this story is probably one of the greatest examples of the, the heart of God towards mankind, towards you and I. And it's in Luke chapter 15, and many, I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it. Luke chapter 15, 11 through 24, and it's the, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is such a beautiful picture of, of, of God's love towards us and, and the father and the way he responded to his son. And initially, where, when the son asked for his inheritance, um, and if you think about that as a, as a father or, uh, and you have a rebellious son and, and he, he comes to you and says, Dad, I want, you know, let's say you're a very wealthy person. This man was extremely wealthy and, and um, I want my inheritance now. As a father, I mean, how would you respond to that? <laughs> I would say, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, come back to me when, you're, when you get your act together, you know. That's what I'd be thinking. And, and, but this father gives him his inheritance, knowing full well that he wasn't going to spend it wisely, that it was probably going to be gone real fast. But he gave it to him anyway. And, you know, God will allow us to do whatever we want to do. He'll let you go and do whatever you want. He won't stop you. You have a free will. You can choose. You can do anything you want. Um, and it, oftentimes, God knows full well that what you're going to do is going to hurt you, and, um, but he allows you to do it anyways. And, and the, the, the amazing thing is, you know, like this son here, for example, I mean, he was more interested in gaining wealth he wanted that money, you know. Boy, I want that money, you know. I, I, I'm going to have a great time with that. And, uh, that was more important to him than developing any kind of relationship with his father. And I think we see that a lot in the world today. We see um, people who, you know, we, what we do is we put other things, you know, like, like gaining wealth, for example. That becomes our highest priority, we, you know. And then we, and we put our relationship with God or we put knowing God on the back burner somewhere out there in the distant future. You know, someday, yeah, I'm going to get right with God someday, but right now I got to do this. Right now I want to do that, you know. And, and God waits, and he waits, and he waits. And when we've tried everything, we've gone, you know, here, there, and everywhere, and you know, wasted everything that he's given us and wasted all our wealth and come to the end of ourselves and we think that we can't go back to God. Well, you can. You can go back to God because he's still waiting. He's still waiting and as the father in this story shows, God is waiting in the same way with the, you know, he's been looking. The father every day went out to look. Is my son coming home? Is my son coming home? And, he went out and, and, and then when he saw him off in the distance, I think the father saw him long before the son even saw the father, the father began to run. And he ran to him. And he, 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 he received him and hugged him and kissed him. And, and it wasn't like, he didn't say, well, where you been? What were you doing? Where's my money? That didn't matter. What mattered was his son had come home. And... And it's the same, God the Father's the same way. He's just waiting. He's just waiting for your return. If it's, you know, if you've been away from God and, and you know, doing your own thing for a while, it, you know, God is waiting for your return. And we want to give you an opportunity today. If, if you feel like God's drawing you and you feel like you want to be, return to him, to, right after the services, come on up here. We, we will pray with you and you can return to God. And if you've never known him before, ever, 
then please come up and we will, you, we will introduce you and you can and meet God personally in your heart. Amen. So let's just look at a couple more scriptures. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is God's final attempt at reaching out to mankind. Um, His desire has always been and always will be to restore mankind back to that same place that they were before Adam and Eve sinned. God had a close personal relationship with Adam and Eve until they, you know, did what they should not have done, but And ever since then, it has been God's heart, his desire to restore man back to that same relationship. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He made the way. Let's look at John, 1 John 5.11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. God has provided an ark. Jesus is the door to that ark. The door is open. The flood's coming, but the door is open right now. Now is the time for salvation. Let's look at John chapter 10 and verse 7 through 9. This will be our closing scripture. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. So there we have it. Jesus is the gate. He's the door. He's the entrance. And he's... He's here. All we have to do is come and meet him.